This is week two of um, our Fruit of the Spirit focus on goodness um, this morning. We've made our way through the first few fruit there, the first few fruits. It's not really multiple fruits, but aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And our, our text obviously would be Galatians 5, 22 through 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, <coughs> kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so we're working our way through this and how the fruit of the Spirit uh, is manifest in our, in our own hearts and lives. And so we've talked about what the world uh, thinks of goodness, um, what we talk to our kids about, and what do we, we talk to um, when we leave church this, this afternoon and we might go and watch a football game and we might use the same word good to describe um, a football game or a performance as we would our God. And so there's a wide variation of uses of this word good. Um, and for our purposes, we were looking at, if you see Roman numeral two there, uh, Wayne Grudem defines goodness of God uh, like this. He says, the goodness of God means that God is the final standard of good and that all God is and all he does is worthy of approval. So that is what we mean when we say God is good. All that he is is good. All that he does is good. <coughs> and then we had uh, for in this Galatians text, the, the Greek word, it refers to moral rightness and goodness. Uh, that is approved by God. And so then we look through um, various texts about the goodness of God. Um, we have... Uh, God's goodness to his people was the second one. But look, just to read a few uh, verses here, Psalm 119, 65-72, that's on page 2 of your handout. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, and but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Your heart, their, sorry, their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. We saw that God is good to his people. Psalm 34, 4-8, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look on him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is a man who takes refuge in him. Continuing on. Uh, Isaiah 63, 7. I, I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted to us, granted us, and the great goodness of the, to the house of Israel that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. So time and time again in the Old Testament, God is good. He is gracious. He is long-suffering. And he's faithful to his people. Matthew 7, 11, Jesus makes the point, if you then, earthly fathers, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And James 1, 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. So God is good, and he calls us to be good. So uh, Romans 12, 2, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we're to pursue what is good as Christians. Jesus teaches a parable of the, the faithful, good servants who take what he has given him, and they do things with it. They invest, they obey. And then there's the wicked servant who doesn't. 
and then with one another, Galatians 6.10, so then as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So, bringing us to number five, we're going to see a couple more examples of goodness, just biblical pictures of it. Um, and we're going to try to figure out what practically, what would this be like for us to be like these people who are good? We have God's approval of something about their conduct, of something about their character. So how do we put that into our lives? So think about that as we read these examples. Luke 23, 50 through 53. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. And he was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God, but oh, sorry, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. So what was Joseph's uh, good action and what is his response? What did he do that was good? <clears throat> yeah, so he was looking for the kingdom of God. What else? He had not consented to the action of crucifying Christ. Yeah, he didn't consent to the unrighteous action, their their decision to put him to death, put Christ to death. What was that, Mark? Well, taking the action of taking down off the cross and wrapping him. I mean, that would have not been an easy thing to do. Yeah. To deny himself taking down. It's kind of risky, right? You're, you're going to take the body of, of Christ off the cross, and that was a, a symbol of shame. <laughs> Yeah, to, to associate yourself with that person, to care for that person's body. There would be a lot of social risk there. Was he a Pharisee then? He was a, I believe so. I believe he was a, he's in the leadership of that. Was he a Pharisee? On the 70s, wasn't he? I believe he was. He had a lot to lose, whether, yeah, so, I mean, it was a risky thing. I believe it was. So, yeah, so, and especially, I don't remember where we were. I was trying to think about this this morning. Um, here recently, I think it was somewhere at church, it might have been Bible study or something, but we were talking about how, um, Maybe it was in a sermon that Pastor David said. He, we were talking about the shame culture and the you really were, your reputation was everything in this culture. And, and for him to, to go out and do this was showed some commitment to uh, his conviction. Rock Amplified says he's Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin, okay. So very high up in leadership of the, of the nation. Yeah. So... What would the typical action and response have been in the same situation? I don't want to get involved. Yeah, avoidance. So even if you did agree with Joseph, typically what you do is, like, I'm not touching that. I'm staying away from that. I'm not going to risk. And then the others in the Sanhedrin that we, we know that Joseph did not consent. What did they consent to? They put him to death. And then while, while he was on the cross, many of them you know, mocked him. Someone already answered number 27. What was he focused on? Okay. 
Yeah, so he's not looking on short-term gain or, or yeah, a bump in his status. There's nothing to gain from it. And in verse 51, <coughs> he didn't consent to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. He was looking for the fulfillment of God's promises, his, his mind and his hopes and his uh, intentions were looking for God's promises to be fulfilled, for uh, God to do what he said he would do. He wasn't so much looking for, to keep his power um, for his own reputation. He wasn't um, looking for the praise of men. the respect of his peers. How do we learn from that example? We all want to be like Joseph, right? We all want to be the one who will... We, we imagine ourselves and, you know, as we think about the crucifixion, I would have been the one to stand up and say, no, don't crucify. You know, we all kind of we want to be the hero of our own in our own imagination. But how, how are we going to do that? Most of them were not that. <laughs> Even his disciples did not do what Joseph did here. It's hard because we have a perspective and we have information that they didn't have. Mm-hmm. So we should know better. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I think one of the things we learn is is you have to have your mindset on the same things that that Joseph had his mindset on. We are not going to just rise to the occasion, so to speak, in times of pressure and um, potential conflict coming. If we stand up for what God says in His Word, if we don't think about how we're going to do that, if we don't think about what is really right and good. If we're not looking for the fulfillment of God's word and the promise that he has for us, he was looking for the kingdom of God. He desired that to be fulfilled. He, he saw Jesus as the fulfillment of that. We won't act with courage you know, in the face of a lot of pressure and a lot of persecution, threats, if we are not focused on the right thing, if we're not focused on pleasing God, obeying God, and doing what God says is good. So, what are our goals? I think that would be one way to start to, to apply this. Well, am I really motivated by God's kingdom and his priorities, or am I motivated by mine? Am I motivated by... Um, having people's approval by moving up in this circle or at work make more money so evaluate our our goals and our our hopes who are we living for <clears throat> what are we looking for that's one way to, to start Learning from Joseph's example. Let's look at another one. Um, Acts 11, 22 through 24. Um, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. <coughs> when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them to he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. What would be Barnabas' good action? Why is he approved? He was full of the Spirit and faith, and he was encouraging, exhorting others to be faithful. Yeah. He's encouraging... Uh, so yeah, he was filled with the Spirit and filled with faith. He went there, he was glad and encouraged. You remember the, the uh, context of this? 
what was one of the early, in the early churches is kind of this conflict between the Gentiles and the Jews. Remember, like, the Jews were like, hey, these Gentiles, they can't just, they can't just trust in Jesus, can they? Like, is that all? They, they don't have to, like, do, not be circumcised. They don't have to, you know, keep the dietary laws, do the ceremonies. They don't have to do all that. There was that tension there. And there would have been a, a temptation for, a, and there was in some of the leadership of the church, and not maybe not the leadership of the church, but there were some who professed to be the leadership from Jerusalem that would go out to these churches and say, hey, you really need to be circumcised. Barnabas wasn't looking for that. He wasn't looking at that. He went, he saw the grace of God, and he was glad. He exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Okay. I kind of had an experience like this last week, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. I had been working in this church in Sedgwick, and there was a very irregular person there. It was kind of leaning toward anarchy, and um, he wanted to meet with me. And so I met him in this restaurant, and there were other people there that had various colors of hair. <laughs> and one of them brought out paper and some color pencils and said, we're all going to do artwork. And I'm sitting in this restaurant doing that and enjoying their company and wanting to give a te testimony to them. And then some very proper people that recognized me came up and started talking to me. And I, I thought the first, my, the first thought was, now I know how Peter felt when the Jews caught him with the Gentiles. You know? <laughs> oh, I missed that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, this embarrassment, you know, and then mm -hmm. wait a minute, wait a minute, these guys are just as loved by Christ as you people are, you know. But it was just it was an awkward moment that I, I really thought about that, how that could affect our lives when we reach out to people that are not accepted in our culture. Yeah, what is Barnabas motivated by here? Love for like the in crowd, the the Jews, and you know, these are the Hellenists. These are Greeks. They were not the the Israelites. But he went and was glad when he saw, hey, these people, they love Jesus. They're trusting in Jesus, so he encourages them. Let's look at Matthew 1, 18 through 24. One more example here. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. So, what did Joseph do? Maybe, maybe let's let's do this. I don't know. What could he have done? Initially, finds out the woman he is to be married to is with child. Could have had her stoned. Yeah. So he could have have her stoned. He could have at, at least he could shame her, pronounce it in the streets. Hey, the reason this is not happening is because my betrothed is with child. And I would never do it. You know, he could make a big thing and announce that. But being a just man, he was unwilling to put her to shame. What was he going to do? Now, and remember, this is the same kind of a culture. There would have been whispers and things and, and the temptation for him to justify himself. To make a big deal about this would have been pretty strong. 
Like, what would the whispers have been? What would the rumors have been? Joseph is not as good a man as we thought he was. And yet, because he was a good man, he was seeking to, to send her away quietly. He did not want to shame her. He was unwilling to shame her. So, then the angel comes and tells him, hey, no, take her. She's pregnant from the Holy Spirit. This thing is, is from God. This is a great thing. And then sometimes we think, oh, well, then it would have been easy for Joseph. You know, he had the dream. He wakes up. He's like, okay, well, I'll just obey. And then everything's good, right? What would have been some of the, look at 36. What, what would have been difficult about their lives from that point on? Not everybody would have been seeing that vision, obviously. So mm-hmm. they would have assumed mm-hmm. that, that happened outside of marriage. Right. <clears throat> yeah, so they would have still assumed the worst. Yeah. Which, you know, understandably, right? <laughs> no, right? Nobody else has a, a virgin birth. No. So yeah. <laughs> there's, that's not how that works. So um, they would have assumed that, that Joseph was not as just. There would have been rumors. There would have been probably some strained relationships at the very least. They could have assumed it was with somebody else too because she went away for a while and came back. <laughs> so. Yeah, there would have been all kinds of stories that could have been going on. It, it would have been difficult for Joseph to, uh, to not become bitter at some point or, or to, like, Am I, do I really have to do this? You know, so it's just been a difficult Life. And there's later, you know, in, in Jesus' life and ministry where people are like, who's your father? And some of the commentators think that, that that may have been kind of an accusation about, we know about you. you know, we know who our father is. So that's possible that they were, they were trying to jab him about, well, who is your father? So in, in the call to obedience still obeying God and believing that he's good is important. Joseph was a just man and did not just obey when it was easy. And I mean, take Mary, for example, as well. Mary was a good woman. And, and the reputation, the looks that she would have got, gotten, would have been difficult. It is difficult to walk around a place when people think that you are doing the wrong thing, that you are sinning, that you are dishonest, that you are a bad man or a bad woman. You're, you're, that's, that's a hard thing to do. It kind of reminds me of Noah all those years that he kept building that ark and people just thought he was crazy. Mm-hmm. At least poor little Mary only had a few months to, but this guy went on for 20 years of yeah. dis- disdain from all, everybody, mm-hmm. literally mm-hmm. the whole world. Yeah. And that is an interesting thing, like, because in one sense, this would have followed Mary for the rest of her life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Except she had a per- perfect child. Right. <laughs> 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 they weren't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, that's interesting. At thing, that point, she'd be like, "Look at my parenting." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I saw uh, your your son's disobedient. <laughs> well, that only works until they had the second one, but you know. <laughs> but <laughs> so be like Joseph to to be uh, to do what is right. Even when he didn't have all the, all the information, he, he was just, he sought to do what was right to protect Mary's reputation as much as he could. He sought to do it quietly. Um, and then when he did get the, the full story, he was, okay, so then he obeys the vision from God and, and in spite of the, what undoubtedly would have been a difficult, uh, difficult walk. And so the, with the scorn and, and the the assumptions and, and suspicions and rumors and things that, that would have been going on. And then 
that's not even touching the fact that, okay, I'm supposed to raise the one who's going to save his people from his, like, whoa, that's some pressure, too. So, Joseph was a good man. So, be like Joseph. <laughs> so, in summary, God is the supreme and ultimate good. All good comes from him and is defined as he defines it. We love this great truth as we desire to be like God in his goodness. We are to proclaim the goodness of God and display it as we walk uh, with him through life. Now let's examine our lives and seek to be good and faithful servants of our king. So let's look at Brent. Brent's son, Tim, is in college several hours away. Over the last two years, Brent has noticed a significant wayward drift in his son which was confirmed during a recent family get-together. Uh, well, Tim told his father he didn't want to talk about Jesus anymore. That he was outgrown his need to believe in God. While Brent has continued to pray for his son, he's discouraged. How do you counsel Brent to believe in God's goodness when his son's walking away? I think it's, uh, you see this in the, um, people bend their theology sometimes to accommodate what's going on in their families. So, you know, your son or daughter comes out as homosexual or whatever, and then all of a sudden we're seeing how the Bible affirms, Mm -hmm. right? So I think that principle still applies here. You either hold fast to God. Mm and not make your son the ideal or the idol that you're willing to chase, that you stay firmly planted on what you believe and pray. Mm-hmm. You know, that they come back, mm-hmm. but be willing to not compromise. Yeah. I think that's hard, but... I got, I got that, you know, that example. Just years ago, I was at, at, in um, a teacher's lounge, and, and a staff member was asked me, well, do you, what happens if, like, your, your daughter, because I had Graceland at the time, what, what happens if your daughter said, comes out as gay or as a lesbian? And, and I said, well, the, the truth of Scripture doesn't change based on my experience in it. And so if that, now that I pray that that doesn't happen, Right? Obviously. I pray that, that my, my daughter is saved, that she puts her faith in Christ, and that she trusts in Him. But if that happens, it doesn't mean that the Bible is, is wrong. So sin corrupts. It, it destroys things. It destroys people. And so the, the, the truth about God and His goodness is true, whether the things that I'm experiencing are easy or hard. I think the other temptation is to um, see, question yourself, you know, as a failure or not faithful, you know, with what God had given you, and to remember that your child, you know, he stands before the master, not not you, mm-hmm. in between them, and uh, yeah, and not take it as a personal indictment either, and especially if if I did mess it up, mm. like. There, this gets this gets really messy, right? If I, as a father, was a bad father, and my child walks away, or I see the destruction that my example has had, and that that adds another layer of difficulty. But yeah, so each person will stand before God on mm-hmm. on the merits of that person's decisions and that person's life and that person's rejection or uh, that rejection of God or the that person's throwing themselves on the mercy of God through Christ. So there, there will likely be, if we're counseling Brent, and, and it's because he has been a hypocrite, you know, that there's going to be things that work through there. 
and it's going to be hard, and, and it's going to be messy, and he's going to have extra guilt and extra regret that he wouldn't have had otherwise, but is God still good? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can God still reach him? Can God help me to be a better father? <laughs> Even though my kid has now mm-hmm. left the nest, so to speak. I, I, let's say you're a god, like I know you're a godly person and you, you train your kids as a, what, what God command you to do, mm-hmm. but for the kids, we need to be example. Mm-hmm. But okay, we you cannot hold their hands um through life like the all away from mm-hmm. their life mm-hmm. when they get married mm-hmm. and care on their children. Yeah. Yeah. It's they will be responsible. God holds them responsible yeah. for their their actions. Um, but that, uh, that sometimes that's not going to help Brent. Sometimes if we just go, hey, well, you know what? It's his own fault. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not how we counsel Brent in that in that moment, right? Um, we pray with him mm-hmm. and we remind him of God's goodness and how God God is still sovereign. He's good. He can save your son. Let's look at part two. But while at work, Brent received the call that no father wants to receive. His son was in a tragic car accident and was killed. Brent is devastated and he calls for help from his church family. How do you counsel him? Question 39. What does Brent need to know and believe about God's goodness? Dad. That um, his like um, the friend of his, the friend that guy have a better plans for it might be his time to go, yeah. and so, this will not your time. So yeah, so so Brent needs to know that, that this is not surprised God. God didn't forget to be sovereign in that. Okay. He know all knowing, mm-hmm. so it won't surprise him at all. What else does he need to know? What does Brent need to know? God is trustworthy. <coughs> He's trustworthy. He's near to the brokenhearted. He's near to the brokenhearted. Jesus said, "Come to me, I'm gentle and lowly." God is a sovereign and just God, but like said, He does still care for His children, and mm-hmm. He cares for those that are hurt and broken. Uh, he's not up there just dishing out punishment and joy and adulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he might feel guilty because his son turned away, and and probably you have you'd have to remind him that it's not up to him. It wasn't up to him ever. It was up to God mm-hmm. to, to make those choices. Yeah, salvation's not up to your father. Yeah. Also, just not to stay stuck in the morning. So Psalms 30, 11. You have turned me from my morning into dancing. So every day forward will bring new challenges, but mm-hmm. that God will be near to him. God will not leave him. What will Brent need to do? Lay it all down at the cross. He's going to have to go, go to God, right? Go to the cross. <coughs> Scripture. Mm-hmm. 
still needs to bless God. Mm -hmm. still needs to praise God. That goes with the lamenting. I mean, I can cry out to him, but in the end, mm -hmm. he needs to be praising He's going to need to affirm that God's good still, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So is praying a Christian or unbelievable? At this point in the scenario, he is a Christian. I would, I would yeah. say here. Mm -hmm. So was he fall, fall away from the Lord? Or? So, in this, yeah, so, so far in this scenario, Brent is a believer in, in your church, and his son is not. His son has walked away. Okay. God. And then his son has died. So, and so Brent is reeling. Not only for is there grief at <clears throat> I've lost my child, um, but it's I, I've lost them forever. I, 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 the same issue with my family right now. Um, but like my parents will pray um to to um for whatever the issue to join um let let God join him around and seek him for Maybe you don't do it at first, but you need to remind him his love of God has to exceed his love for his son. Yeah, he needs to know that God comes first. And, yeah. And also, I mean, like this is a very clear crossroads in his life. It's really easy to believe that God is good when everything is going good in your life. When everything falls apart, that's where it's like, does my faith actually make a difference in my life? And do I believe what I say I believe? Mm -hmm. And so you're probably also going to be battling people who are telling him all of these hunky-dory things that aren't necessarily true. So you're also going to have to really fight to tell him the things that are true and not just appease him with happy-go-lucky words just to try to make him feel better in the moment because what he actually needs is the truth of what Scripture says. Yeah, he needs to know what the, what the word says, yeah. not what the Hallmark gift card section says. <laughs> yeah. Right? There are things that are said in there that are really not helpful. Yeah. yeah. I think one big thing is not, you know, if, you know, if we're going off of the, the hypothetical of the story, if Brent's a believer and has shown through that, I don't necessarily, he might not be as caught up in like blaming God or being angry at God. It just, I think, as a father myself, and I've, I've, I've thought through this, how, how quickly life can change in an instant for, you know, through death, is the, I think the biggest problem he could draw, fall into is feeling like a failure, feeling like he's, and just kind of wallow in that, that guilt, that unbiblical guilt, and just... I think he really, we talked about, you know, believing in God's sovereignty and just just being comfortable with not knowing what God's plan and just and being like, I may never know exactly this side of creation or this side of eternity why these things happen, but I do know, you know, deep down that that this is this is a trial that God can be glorified through. And ultimately, I am a created being designed to give glory to God. So I might not understand all the parts. It may tear me apart. You know, some days are going to be harder than others. But just not not focusing on your failures, but focusing on the focusing on the the glory of God and how good He has been and how good He continues to be, even though <clears throat> we might go through rough things. And to let him more. I mean, let him be. I mean, there's, there's, the process wouldn't be different. <clears throat> I mean, yes, there's hope if he was a believer, right? And you can point him to that. But the, it's, death is sad. <laughs> it's okay to be sad. Yeah. So I've listed out a lot of good things. Um, there, there's purpose. 
and suffering is not random. It's not. He needs to know that. Um, he needs to cling to the truth. I think, as a side note, like we we, if this would happen to to me or to someone in our church, like the need for one another, like, I'm going to need you. And and for I think a. It would be hard not to isolate, right? Um, and then, so you've got the lost my child, and then they they didn't love the Lord, they didn't, they rejected him. So I think we're going to need each other. We would need each other really deeply, and that's, that's one of the, the gifts of God in the church, um, and and why I'm just amazed sometimes on, on a in other situations I'm, I'm a kind of amazed at how man we need. <coughs> We need the church. How do people get through these things without without the church? Um, and then something like this, or like some of the suffering that that we know about in our church, whether it's cancer and um, death of loved ones and things. How do how do people do that without you know brothers and sisters that come alongside and, and help? Um, <clears throat> Brent needs to stay in church. Mm-hmm. He needs to stay um, with the body of Christ. And that would be. A really, really important thing because he's going to need brothers and sisters that walk with him through it. So I'm, I'm, we, I'm sure we could list a, a lot of other things that he would need to know and he would need to believe and affirm. But how do we get the next question? How do we get Brent to that that point? What do we say and do, or what do we avoid saying and doing? I would always listen and ask questions first, um, especially asking questions shows you're engaged. But there could be all kinds of feelings. He could be blaming God. He could be feeling guilty. He could be feeling both. Um, and sometimes the first thought that will come to the mind will not always be the source of the issue. So really diving into listening and asking questions and reading scripture together, because sometimes that can bring an aha moment. Um, this is where the source is right here, you know, so trying to dig that out by reading scripture, listening and asking. Sometimes they're not going to want to talk though. So I mean, I think just like bringing by meals and like you're saying, I mean, you need to surround them because what else there is to surround them is not good for them. Um, and a lot of times they will use. So bringing meals, um, just being there. Um, sometimes they're not going to want to answer questions. I mean, yeah. read the first part of it. Notes, cards, yeah, anything like that would be um, just so that they know that they have people that they can go to when. It is important not to go to their house and sit down and say, let's have a Bible study on the sovereignty of God. I'm thinking in a sit-down counseling session. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm not, in yeah. randomly, no. So, yeah, I think the, the important... I think of Job's friends, how they started off really good. Remember? The, in Job 2, <coughs> verse 11, now Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him. They came each from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Naamathite. And they, had, they made an appointment together to come uh, to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. I know that, that right there is the good example. You, you, know, sit and you don't have to say anything. You know, you, you weep with them. And you and just... I don't need to teach you right now. And, then, and in a lot of ways, there's going to be a way that, that eventually, Lord willing, over time, you're going to teach me a lot of stuff. Go ahead, Peggy. I think you want to avoid, if only he would have, or if only you could have. Mm-hmm. Don't take them back to a past. Mm-hmm. Take them where yeah. they are and have them looking to the future. And if they are going back to the past, don't say, don't do that. Right? You, you don't, we don't need to correct them right away. You know, there's probably going to be some anger toward God. There's probably going to be some things that are said that aren't, that aren't good theology. Well, actually, let me turn to you. This is not you. That's probably not the time. Right? 
we we weep with them. Okay. Have we changed like because things are more instantaneous now? At, like in the past, did people were they slower to that point or like trying to fix it or or are we more fast to it now? So like go and get to the next thing. That's a good question. Um, it is hard. I, there's a lot of things that we could say as far as the, the timing and how Job's friends, I think there's a shock factor here. They, they're like, they knew things were bad. Like, man, this is going to be really sad. Let's go comfort Job. Let's go. And they see him, and they didn't recognize him. Like, like this is worse than any of us could have imagined. And they, there's a, a whole long time of weeping and crying, um, of just grieving with Job. But then... I don't know if they get impatient. Because um, after seven days, it's like, well, Job shouldn't be. I don't know what the, what the attitude was like, but I think sometimes because we're in our busy lives, we, we, we know that this person's suffering, and then we pray for that person, and we weep for that person and with that person, and then we kind of go on with things, and then we kind of come back, and then and the next week or the next month, they're still struggling. You're like, well, why are you still struggling? Like, it's been a month, you know. It's been, a, you know, that, but that's not how, that's not how the Lord um, works through grief. Sometimes that's not how people work through grief, and sometimes it will take years, and it will, and they will never be quite the same. Right? That's not going to be something you get over. Mm. These are uncomfortable too. I think a lot of times, like, I mean, my mom doesn't want to see me sad for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, but it, it that, that's what. It's, Mm-hmm. look like. I mean, holidays are going to be hard. Things mm-hmm. are going to change and be different. So, I don't know if it's like, fa- I mean, it's just people have a hard time like, what can I say to mm-hmm. them or what can I do for them? So they want that uncomfortableness to hurry and go away mm-hmm. so we can go back mm-hmm. to what mm-hmm. it was or what we were mm-hmm. which will never, nothing's going to be not the same. Yeah, same. it's not going to be the same. But I think <laughs> if you're the counselor, if this is a long term counseling case and you're meeting with what was his name? Brent. Brent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like what Becky said in her woo the other night like unfortunately we suffer as sinners so there is still accountability on our end on how we suffer and so if this is a long term counseling case we want to make sure that we're um, listening to how they're speaking as that often reveals mm-hmm. what they're thinking mm-hmm. and um and holding them accountable to thinking biblically and rightly. And there's going to be time for that. Going to be, this is a long-term project. Right. So it's the first time they say something, right. you know, it's going to be raw and it's going to be hard. Yeah. And, and there will be time mm-hmm. later. Don't do it then. But I think like, it's like one or the other so often, right? Uh-huh, yeah. Like we want to do one extreme or the other, and there has to be that longevity. <coughs> it can't be just the don't say anything, and, <coughs> and it can't be say everything, mm-hmm. and then not. Uh, and it has both are important. Yeah. And I think one of, one of the crucial pieces, and this is in all of our counseling, in all our discipleship, there is a need for us, and, and this is something that I have not done well. Um, there's a need for me to walk with them. Like the, I need to have a, a presence with this person to love them. And if, if they've never had me come and ask them how they are and walk with them and have a good conversation and seek to love them, and then I come in a time of crisis, and I, and I say, well, let me, let me counsel you. It's just not that they won't be receptive to it, but I think it's really hard, right? Like this, you've never talked to me before. Or we've talked about, like, the weather and sports or something like that. Like, it's not been, I've not walked with them. If they don't know that I love them, then... I'm not going to be able to counsel them through hard things where they are. They need me to hold them accountable to, for what they're they're thinking. And over time, we do need to teach them about the sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. We do need to, to to direct them to think that God is good. Mm-hmm. And the, the counselor also needs to desperately pray for wisdom from God. I think oftentimes in these situations, we just get into it with hopeful thoughts, but we actually haven't pled before the Lord saying, I don't know what they need today, Lord. Because I could sin if I rebuke them right now, mm-hmm. and I could sin if I don't do it, mm-hmm. and I'm supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Jesus, being God, he knew how he was supposed to address the different people in different situations. He knew that which sins he needed to pull out or reveal or, soft, or, or be more soft with certain people in different ways because he knew where their hearts were. I don't know that information, but I have a God who does. So um, the Lord has been teaching me how much I need to honestly plead with the Lord to help me know what my counseling needs that day. And sometimes that means scrapping everything I've studied and doing something completely different. Night the um couple night cup like Iron Man that testimony was really good. I they've been um I don't remember the guy's name but his testimony was really good. Um the trial that they had and you know, we need to eventually need to talk to them about like the discipline of the Lord is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it will lead to the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Mm-hmm. So that, and that doesn't feel like it right now. And that's none of this is going to feel like it now. Um, and so eventually, we as we pray for wisdom, we seek God's. Uh, we're trying to be led by the Spirit to to know when would be the right time to say something here, or do I? No, I'm, there's going to be time for that. We're playing the long game here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be walking with this brother for years. Mm-hmm. And there will be time. And i got to look for the right time to do that. So, we have a good father. Even in, in, in hard things, our father is so good. So he knows what we need in order to, to help us let go of idols that we cling to. He knows how to discipline us and bring us true joy and peace in knowing him. And he will discipline us so that we get to experience the peaceful fruit of righteousness when we've been trained by him. We know that in his presence there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. That he withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. So will we trust him? That's the the question that, that I think rings out in my mind. Am I going to trust God like I think I will? I know these things. Am I going to trust him? In trials and suffering and hard things. So that's that's our make that commitment. I, I'm going to trust God. No matter what happens, I'm going to trust him. He is good. And I can trust him. Thanks everybody.